talk about uh, the the loss of this. I mean, everyone expected you to win. I expected you. I mean, the world expected you expected to win. Um, so going into it, what was different? Like, were you? My brain stopped working properly. It must have been another workout. And how long was it that your brain was not aware of, of that? How long did that take effect on you? What a great hymn. I feel like we should preach on that right now. Um, you know, I don't know how many times we said, I surrender all, but do we actually say that in our hearts and in our minds and in our, in our spirit? Do we surrender everything to Jesus? Do we do that? And it kind of, you know, is really appropriate for what we're talking about and what I'm going to uh, address with you this morning. So grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and good morning once again. Let's get back on track here a little bit. A few weeks ago, we, be, we began a series that I titled Identity. Um, we hit that for a couple of weeks, and then um, we took a couple of weeks off. We had a guest speaker come in, and then we hit VBS really hard last week, had the kids up here singing and things. And um, So we're going to sort of jump back to uh, where we left off, sort of, mostly, in, in a way. We'll get back to that. This series, though, and I want to make sure that we all understand where we are. You know, like I said, in the military, we, we say the bottom line up front when you're writing an email. So this is the bottom line up front. And this, is, this should be the message for every series, um, every, or every message or every sermon that you say. Um, it's going to have its roots. It's going to focus on um, our relationship with Christ and our relationship with God. That's where we should be all the time. We should be walking down the street saying, I surrender all, all the time. And so uh, our other focus, the other side of that is should be, uh, what does it mean to be a follower of God? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus? A few weeks ago, we played a rousing round of who dis. I put Lombardi up on the board just to make you guys feel good so you could get one right. Because I said, you know, we got to go back to the basics. we got to understand things like Lombardi said. You know, we got to go back to the basics in order to understand our relationship with God, in order to, um, to do the things that God wants us to do and obey the things that God wants, to, wants us to obey. We've got to be like Lombardi and go back to the basics and start to understand these things. One of the other things I like to do here is um, I call it defining the terms, right? So when we go searching um, for our identity, right, when we're seeking out, uh, what, we, what we're looking for, we should first define the word identity. Now, you can go to a dictionary if you want to, but that's not the working definition that I want us to have here. It's not the focus that we're going to be talking about, uh, that we talked about a couple weeks ago, we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. So if you haven't written this down already, I suggest you do. Just take your, in, your bulletin somewhere, that pencil in front of you, just write down a couple things. I know, you know, we're Lutheran, so we don't take notes during services, but... Here's our working definition of what our identity is. It's two parts. Number one is what you believe about yourself. That is your identity. What you believe about yourself. The other part of that is who you believe you are. Now, the first, ser uh, first time of this series, a, a sermon or a message called Identity. Um, if you haven't heard that one, if you weren't here, you can go back on our YouTube channel and look at that. And I really um, meted these two things out, the difference and compared and contrast those two ideas. 
who you believe, what you believe about yourself, who be, you believe you are, that is your identity. That's who, what, how you introduce yourself at cocktail parties and dinner parties and things like that to people. Oh, what do you do? Who are you? And this is what we say, what we believe about ourselves and who we believe we are. And again, it's a combination of those thoughts, right? Believe it or not, that, those two thoughts define your reality. Now, I know that kind of word, that word gets thrown out a little bit because reality isn't the same for everybody. But no, that's your reality. That's who you are. That's what you believe about yourself. And again, just to go over those basic ideas to remind us where our base camp is, um, our fundamental ideas or our life beliefs, um, what we believe about ourselves, who we believe are, we are, those dictate our, our identity. So I'm going to put up this list that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and I want to show you the progression again. But again, a couple of weeks ago, I really meted this out, and I'd like you to go back and look at it if you missed that. So who we believe we are, let's put identity up there, Jennifer. So that's our identity, right? Our identity um, then dictates our actions. I'm going to talk about this uh, a little bit more today. Our, our identity, who we believe we are, dictates our actions. And the culmination of our actions becomes what we would call our behavior. Okay, so that comes to our behavior. Right? And now, uh, like all of Lombardi, you know, hitting the building blocks again and going over this a couple more times because um, we may or may not realize that our behaviors have what? Consequences, yeah, consequences. And all of that, that formula that you're looking at right there leads to our reality, right? I should have put reality up there too, but that leads to our reality. And then we complain that our reality doesn't look like we want it to, but we fail to understand that our reality is a result of our consequences, which are a result of our behaviors, which is a result of our actions, which lies in our identity, which goes back to what we believe about ourselves and who we think we are. Now, when we say consequences, or when I say consequences, there's probably some negative connotations that go with that word, right? Where you got to suffer the consequences. That's how we always say that, right? My grandma always said, call it her, your comeuppance. You're going to get your comeuppance. I was like, oh, why did that grandma? That's, that's a cool word. But that's not always the case. It's not always a negative connotation to it, the word consequences. I want to tell you what I mean. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself that you guys might not know. Um, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. You guys probably know that. Um, over on the other side of the state, shout out, shout out to Art Paulson, who's around from that area. Joan Anderson knows that area really well, too. So when I'm growing up in this small town, it, I, it was uh, discovered at a very early point in my life that I had a propensity for music. Um, our general music teacher, you know, when you go to music class when you're in elementary school, her name was Miss O'Connell, who actually I ran into later in life at a gig. I was playing with the Rochester Symphony. I was playing in the orchestra, and she was singing in this chorale. And she saw me and came over to me. And was like, you know, she recognized me in my, in my 20s when the last time she saw me was probably third grade. Anyway, I'm in second grade. She plays a song for us and just played a song, you know, dropped the needle on the record or whatever, and we're sitting there, and we didn't really know what was going on. We were just listening to this music, right? And so then after it was done, she handed out a piece of paper, and she said, write down as much of that song as you can remember. Some of my classmates didn't even try because they weren't listening to it. They were messing around with the thing. Some wrote out a few lines, maybe the chorus. I wrote out the whole thing, right? And when, you know, my handwriting is much better today than it was when I was in second grade. When I got done, you know, writing this whole thing down, I looked up and the whole room was looking at me and Miss O'Connell was looking over my shoulder and she said, could I just take that? And she took it and, you know, so most of my life I thought everybody could do that, right? I thought everybody had that ability. Play a song and you can hear it and I, that was normal to me. 
So now fast forward to college, um, UW-Lacrosse, right? Music major, music education major. For about 18 minutes, I was a music education major. Um, my first bass lesson, um, I'm getting a little emotional here, but I'm gonna fight through this. Um, Richard Meldy, kind of a Grizzly Adams type of guy, had this beard, and um, he said, when you come to your first lesson, he said, just bring something that, that you can play, something that you know well. So I did. I brought in a concerto that I worked on when, when I was in high school, and I played through this, and he, sat, he was sitting in the corner with his eyes shut like this, and I got done, and he just sat there for like 15 seconds, but it seemed like three hours, and he said, you know, you could be a professional bass player if you want. And I said, I want, and I don't know why I'm getting emotional here, but I said, I want, I went over and changed my major from music education to music performance, right? And now here's where I'm going with this. That moment changed my identity. That moment changed um, who I believed I was and who and what I believed about myself. And so everything, my actions then, are you with me? My actions then changed because my identity changed. Right? My identity changed, my action changed, because um, I wanted that identity to dictate my actions. I started imitating people who were already professional bass players. I looked up you know, what they did for practice. I looked up what they were playing and how they were playing, how many, you know, and uh, I was looking at these pictures in the library and I saw a lot of these old bass players and they all had a mustache. So I grew a mustache, <laughs> right? Because I thought that's what I want to be, right? And that was the 90s, so a lot of people had mustaches in those days. But then the consequences, are you listening to me now? Consequences aren't always a negative thing. The consequences of those actions is I became a bass player in demand. I played with a lot of people that you've heard of. I toured with Mel Torme for, for weeks. Maybe some of you have heard of him. <laughs> played with Chuck Mangione for a while, right? Now, all of that happened in my early life, right? In my, in my early adult life. Um, in into middle age, although that is kind of a, a moving target, middle age. I was working with a youth group one time, and uh, one of the girls, I was 26, and one of the girls in uh, high school said, you know, you know a lot for a guy who's so middle-aged. And I was like, <laughs> everything's relative, though, you know. So now I tell you all of this because I'm hoping that you can relate my story, my identity story, into something in your life. Because that's what I'm saying here is the thing is, um, the thing I was looking for to define me had limits, had its limits. And quite often the things we look to to define us have limits. Um, I see it all the time in youth group. I've been doing youth group for longer than you possibly would guess. And I see the same thing, the same kind of pattern. You know, we're competing with a lot of different things in the world. And one of the things we compete with most is sports, right? We put a lot of pressure on our kids to, sell, to excel not only in, in one sport, but multiple sports, right? Kid turns in one uniform and picks up the other uniform, and today we're at the gym doing this, and tomorrow we're starting a different season and we're going to be doing some other things, right? But eventually, that ride stops, right? That ride for sports stops. Even if, you know, they manage to keep the fire burning into college, Right? I call them the one percenters, right? Maybe you're going to play football on Saturday. Maybe you're just going to be on the scout team. Maybe you play some college sports, right? But eventually that, that ride is going to end. And then we're left wondering, 
right? If that becomes our identity, dictates our actions and our behavior and our consequences, are you know, good players, right? But eventually that, that ride's going to end. We're left wondering what else is out there, right? Now, to really illustrate that and to really bring that point home to us, that that ride that we're on has the potential to end rather abruptly, um, I want to play a quick round of your favorite game show and mine, who dis? Some of you are going to get this one. Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey. Yes, Ronda Rousey. Okay, good. Um, she is or was a UFC fighter. UFC fighter. That stands for something. Who was um, sort of, now no disrespect here, but she sort of the, the, was the Mike Tyson of her sport, right? The young Mike Tyson who would walk across the ring and just absolutely pummel his opponent before the bell stopped ringing, you know? That's what she did. She was undefeated, 12-0. and 0. Um, And there was talk that she would go undefeated her entire career, that she would uh, retire. That's how good she was and how dominating she was. And that's exactly what her identity became, the undefeated one, the one that was able to stay and remain undefeated, to retire undefeated. And she was undefeated until one day she wasn't. One day she got beat. Early in the second round, she got beat. Actually, um, right away in the fight, she got, she got knocked out pretty good. She said she got knocked out on her feet. And although these things really started to sink in with her, that idea started to really sink in with her, uh, it wasn't just a loss, right? It wasn't just a loss in the ring because she, that ring, she completely, in the ring that day, I'm saying, she completely lost her identity. She lost everything she knew. She lost everything she had. And I'm going to show you some clips of an interview that she's in on. And I had to kind of cut it down a little bit because it's not exactly what we would call family friendly all the time. So I'm going to just cut it down a little bit. Now, the first part is it's, uh, Ellen DeGeneres is interviewing her. And Ellen sets it up saying, you were at the top of the heap. Everybody expected you to win this fight. How did you respond to all this? So we'll look at the first clip and then we're going to look at a second one. So watch this one. Hopefully the sound is good so we can hear it. Yeah, so she talks about so much chaos, and I had to cut it there because it gets crazy after that. But she talks about how immediately in the fight, I don't know if she got kicked in the head or she got punched, but she, got, she, got, she said she got knocked out on her feet, and um, her, her brain wasn't working quite right. She was aware of her surroundings, but she really wasn't in the moment. She, wasn't, she didn't understand. She couldn't get her depth perception. She talks about that in a second, too. But this second clip is what I really want you to look at because Ellen is talking about her health. She's saying, are you worried about this being a long-term thing? And she's not worried about that at all. What she is worried about is probably going to surprise you. Listen to what she says here.
what am I anymore if I'm not this? Right? Her identity got knocked out. Right? She didn't just lose a fight. She lost everything she had, everything she knew, everything she was putting her faith in, everything that was dictating her actions, her behavior, and the consequences were she was a, a number one fighter of the world because that's who she believed she was. That was her identity. Now, um, back in the 70s, there was a psychologist named Eric Erickson. I got a picture of him here. I didn't want to play who it is too many times. That's Eric Erickson, back in the 70s. He's the first one that coined the term identity crisis. Right? That's where I stole the uh, title of the, of the message today. And he says this is what an identity crisis is. He said it's defined as a period of uncertainty in one's life. And this uncertainty comes from, a certain, from certain stressors in our lives. Um, and I add to that maybe unexpected stressors. Right? Those life-changing moments when we find ourselves laying on the canvas, right? Eric says, Erickson says um, an identity crisis as opposed to um, the midlife crisis that all of us maybe constantly are going through, right? But the identity crisis, right? He says it's obvious that we will have an identity crisis when we're younger. Kids, teenagers. When people are really seeking to understand who they are and where they're going to put their identity, what they believe about themselves and who they believe they are, right? But it's not just young people. It's all of us. You know, the, it has no age limit on it. Instead, many moments of crisis occur um, based on our circumstances. Identity crises come as a result of our circumstances. Decisions and, and behaviors that shape and define our reality, for sure, right? But some things are unexpected. And I think we've gone a little bit too far. Psychologists suggest that we do um, identity exploration. And I don't oppose that, but I'm saying, you know, we might go a little bit too far. Because um, here's what psychologists recommend is that what everyone should do, and, and again, I agree to this to a point, but the problem with um, identity exploration says find out who you are at that given moment. Find out who you are at that given moment. Understanding that that given moment is going to change and our identity is going to change and who we believe we are is going to change and what we believe about ourselves is going to change. Find out who you are at that given moment and then make a commitment to live out that particular identity. That's out of the textbook. Make a commitment to live out that particular identity that parenthetically should say right after that that's going to change. So don't get too used to it. Don't get too attached to it because it's definitely going to change because one day you're going to be laying on the canvas staring up at the lights wondering where you are. Because the obvious problem with that theory is that the playing field is going to change. If we let this world and the things of this world dictate our decisions, our actions, our behaviors, define our reality, then one day, again, we're going to be laying there on the canvas, looking up at the lights, saying, what am I now? If that's not what I am, well, then what am I now? And maybe not at this very moment, but I'd like you to think um, to the actions and the behaviors that you've turned to, that you would call your identity. Think about the habits that bring you comfort and refuge, so to speak. The actions that bring you comfort, or is it a substance that brings you comfort and refuge? 
If we actually took a minute and did that and wrote it out, if we did that, we would do this in, definitely in our youth group. Chances are whatever came to your mind will help you define your own personal identity crisis. Sometimes we don't like who we are. We don't like our actions. We don't like our behaviors. Deep down, we know there is something inherently broken and not on track. But, but here's the thing. The issue at hand is not that we've been true to ourselves, or that we have not been true to ourselves, I should say, as, as Erickson would say. The issue is not that we've not been true to ourselves or that we've alienated ourselves from who we really are. That's not the problem. It's not inner, right? It's outer. Our issue is that we've been untrue to the God who created us. We've alienated ourselves from him. And when we see Jesus' words that I read here in John 14, things start to come into focus a little bit better. When we listen to his words, Jesus starts unveiling some promises that probably didn't make sense to the disciples at the time when he was saying it. But they make perfect sense for us today because we can step back and we can look at the whole picture. So if we look at a couple of verses that I just read to you a little bit ago from John 14, just said in this in context, um, this is at the Last Supper. So one chapter before this, he's been washing the disciples' feet. So he's been demonstrating. Right? But here he is now laying it out for them in no uncertain terms. They're asking questions. He's answering questions directly. John 14, uh, verse 19, Jesus says, Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. Right? He's laying out these promises. And the disciples are like, okay, right on. A lot of weird things have been happening tonight. We don't understand everything, but I'm, I'm tracking with you. I'm getting this, right? But then they can't help asking, you know, you said something and you've been talking for the last week. You've been talking about dying. That the Messiah must suffer and die. The hands of the enemies. He's going to be turned over and say more about that. So he does. In verse 20, he says this. When I am raised to life again, okay, you will know that I am in the Father. You will know that you are in me. You will know that I am in you. He's laying out these promises. He's laying out this identity for us, who we are whose we are, what we should believe about ourselves, who we should believe we are. And like I said, a lot of that got lost on the disciples, but like I said, it makes perfect sense for us here today because we understand the whole picture. We get what they weren't getting at that moment when he was saying these things. So start to land this plane here. By Jesus' actions, by his actions and his words, Jesus showed his disciples who he is and who they are in him. By his actions and his words, he shows his disciples who he is and who they are in him. And he defines the terms for them. You will know, you will know, you will know. But by, by what he's about to do, he's going to grant them, he's going to grant you eternal life. And he will show the disciples and he will show you how to live as children of God. Jesus' called to the disciples and his call to you is to follow and trust him. Because this is the identity crisis that we're in here. 
the identity crisis, the identity circus, as I sometimes call it, that, that humanity goes through on a, on a constant basis, struggles with more than um, just knowing who you are on the inside, right? Define me. Because we're substituting everything under the sun to find our identity and our purpose away from God's son. So today's the day that you throw out that identity from the world that's going to only come crashing down. It's going to knock you down on the canvas eventually. It's going to end. That ride's going to end. And I'm highlighting all this for you simply so that you'll see what the God of heaven, the God of earth has done for you. What great lengths he has gone to for you. All that he has endured for you. All that he's conquered and defeated for you. Simply to give you the free gift of life, everlasting life. And we fail to understand, we fail to grasp the depth, the fullness of that gift simply because we fail to recognize the colossal identity crisis that we're currently in. So today's the day when you drop everything else. Get off those shifting sands. Put your faith, put your trust, and yes, put your identity in the one who created you. And vow, promise, declare that you will follow him. Amen? All right, let's stand with me, please. And let's continue to worship as we confess what we believe in the words of the apostles.